You Can Mentor is a podcast about the power of building relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. Every episode will help you overcome common mentoring obstacles and give you the confidence you need to invest in the lives of others. You Can Mentor. Welcome back to the You Can Mentor podcast. I'm here with a special guest, Zach Garza. Whoop, whoop. You're really not a special guest. You're just a standing Whoa. host. Uh, I, I meant more of like you're you're like around and whoa, so I'm just around. <laughs> First, I'm not special. Now I'm just around. I'm your boss. <laughs> well, we have the board chairman of the You Can Mentor podcast, Zachary Garza, with us. Don't forget, I'm the founder. I'm the one who came up with this. <laughs> I'm. Well, that's great. You want to start over? No. This hey, is great. welcome to the You Can Mentor podcast. My name is Steven, and I'm here with the founder and board chairman, Zachary Garza. And I'm sitting here with the thief. That's who I'm sitting here with. The guy who stole. Trying to steal my podcast. (laughs) Oh, tension. Um, Today we're talking about seasons of mentoring, different stages, what to expect, all of that good stuff. People change, relationships change, kids change. We all mature. Well, some of us mature. We turn into adults, or we go from junior high into high school, into college, into adulthood. Then we get married, maybe. Perhaps we have kids, get a job. There's just, you're constantly changing, just like the seasons. You know, you've got fall and winter and summer and spring. So much change. Change, change, change. Is that a song? Yeah, it's a song. (laughs) Um, I think it's a song. But today we're talking about seasons of mentoring. So, Stephen. Tell us what's going on, man. How are you doing today? I'm I'm so good. I'm I'm trying to determine what season our relationship is in. Are we in? I think we're in spring, maybe. Uh, yeah. There's maybe a little bit of spring in our relationship. There's also a little bit of summer, maybe, maybe some heat. You I feel know? the sun maybe shining. Some, yeah. On us. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna compare mentoring to a romantic relationship. That's kind of weird. Ow! ow. So if you guys are anything like me, um, the first time you were in a romantic relationship, you know, you put your best foot forward. I can remember whenever I picked up my wife, Sarah, for our first date, man, I was just like dressed to a T, freshly shaven, had had on my polo shirt, tucked in, probably sprayed on some cool water cologne, you know, took her to the best restaurant, opened up the door, just pulled out all the stops. Come on, man. Brought her some flowers. I mean, I was rolling, man, and that's why we got married, because of the cool water cologne. And that was the very beginning of our of our dating relationship. But if anyone has been in a long-term romantic relationship, you know that doesn't last. After a month or so, two months, things start getting real. You start to speak up about the things that you didn't start to speak up on at the very first of your relationship. That's real. Maybe you feel comfortable. Maybe you start saying things, you know, that you wouldn't have said at the beginning, maybe a little sarcasm here or there. Maybe you don't shower for a day or a week and the person who you're dating starts to take notice, you know, things, things aren't the same. Steven, do you have any experience with that? When did you stop opening up the door for Sarah? How long did it take? uh, Like three weeks, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, No, I think I did pretty good until we got married. And then I just, I, I don't think I've showered since we got married. It's been years. I totally, yeah. I I feel like I was so intentional. Oh man, like, for sure. Katie and I, when we were dating, I planted a tree 
and I would take an ice chest of water to go water this tree because I was I was so concerned that this tree was a picture of my relationship with her that if if I put forward all this effort, it would flourish. Yes. And yeah, I'm not doing stuff like that now. And now I can't even take my bowl to the sink after I eat cereal. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. I can't even make my bed. Terrible. Do you still fart in front? Oh, do, you, whoa. do you fart in front of Sarah, or oh. are you still afraid of doing that? I mean, I, like, are you open? I don't want to talk about that. Okay. Of course, I'm. We're married. <laughs> All right. So after six months, you you start to really figure out who that person is, right? Anyone can pretend for a, a couple of days, a few weeks, but after months and years pass by, like true character shows up. There's no secrets. Things have been exposed. The good, the bad. You know who you're in a relationship with. And about that time, you have a decision to make. Should I stay or should I go? You know pretty much everything there is to know about this person, and it's up to you. Is this something that I want to continue to invest in, or do I want to jump ship? For most people, if you decide to stick with it, maybe you get engaged, maybe you get married. If you decide to jump ship, you got to have the awkward DTR, hey, it's just not working for me. It's it's me. It's not you, I promise, <laughs> right? But if you do decide to stay, then you figure out this new normal, right? Like things aren't as they once were, but you begin to accept that person for who they are, the good and the bad, and you learn how to love unconditionally. And that's so important if you're going to have a healthy long-term relationship is to love this person, to be there, to accept them through the good and the bad. And then after years and years have passed, there's this new kind of relationship, right? The love that I had for Sarah is different now than it was when we first started dating. It's different now than whenever we first got married. We are starting to enter into the season where it's just a different kind of love. Like it is that long, like we've been through some fires. We've been through some fights. Like we have struggled together. We have laughed together. We have cried together. And it has produced this love that I can hardly even express in words. It's unlike anything I've ever experienced. And it might be that way with your best friend, right? The person who you've known for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. It's just a different kind of love. It's a love that can withstand the waves of the storm, right? And it's not, not too different from what you can expect in a mentoring relationship. Yeah, that's really good. I wonder the difference between the first time you meet Sarah and now is at the beginning, you're thinking about what image am I putting forward to make her like me, whereas now in marriage... All you're thinking about is her and caring for her and loving her. And you're not worried about like primarily what she thinks about you. Yeah. Because you already know what she thinks about you. Yeah, She's already sure. shown you what she thinks about you with the good, bad, and ugly and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a perfect picture of a mentor relationship is that eventually the mentor relationship moves from you not thinking entirely about yourself and how well you're doing, but more of your invested in this kid yeah, and you care for him and he's not like nitpicking how good of a mentor you are. <laughs> he's like, I just like being around you. And I, I don't know. I just think that's really cool. Yeah, for sure. There's a couple of things to keep in mind, right? Whenever we're talking about seasons of mentoring, the first thing is every relationship is different, right? Every dating relationship, every mentoring relationship, every person is different. So for some people, they might experience a season that we'll talk about for a long time. For some people, they might experience it for a short time. For some people, they might not ever experience it. And that's okay. Uh, what we're trying to do today is we're, we're just trying to tell you guys what we have found different seasons to be and 
some people might have experienced all of them. Some people only two or three. Some people only one. Also, every timeline is different, right? I know for me, I've been in a couple of these seasons for 18 months, for two years. Whereas the guy who I started mentoring with was only in that season for two weeks, right? And so there's no comparison. It's just every kid, every mentor, every mentoring relationship is different. And that's okay. I think that's good to say because it's it's different than just fall, spring, summer, winter. Like, yeah, it, it's not happening on a calendar. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's kind of a lot like the seasons in Texas, right? Like you never really know what you're going to get. Like it can be December in like 85 one year and the next year it's freezing. So, um, oh, yeah, awesome. man, we are sticking to this seasons analogy, aren't we? We're just. No, Texas is jacked up. It's perfect. It's a perfect analogy. Texas is. But I love Texas. I'm I a do. Texan. I do love Texas. Yeah. All right. First stage. Here we go. The first stage is the honeymoon stage. All right. The honeymoon stage. You, if you're married, you guys have experienced a honeymoon. New is fun. All is good, right? The the mentee loves his mentor. The mentor puts on his best efforts to impress and to show his his mentee that he's cool, that he's awesome, right? The mentor pulls out all of the stops, takes them to the coolest places, you know, spends a bunch of money on them. Life is good. This mentoring thing is easy. Man, I can't believe that these people said that this was hard. <laughs> Here I am taking my kid to Chuck E. Cheese in the Texas Rangers game, and he loves me, right? Well, how long is that going to last? That's the honeymoon stage. The heart is good. The intentions are good. But the main question that you got to ask yourself is this. How long can we keep this up? Hmm. Here's a story about the honeymoon stage. There was this mentor in our program, and he had this kid that he was spending time with, and this kid's name was O. O, just like the letter. And the mentor loved spending time with O, right? He would pick him up in his fancy car, and they would drive all around town. And the mentor had a great heart, and his heart was to really show this kid that he was worth time and attention and things like that. And what the mentor and O started to do together was at the end of every time that they hung out, the mentor would take O to Walmart and he would give him $5 and he would say, Oh, whatever you want to spend on this $5 is yours, buddy. Go ahead and go. And he did this week after week after week. Well, one day the mentor was kind of in a hurry. He had to get home to be with his family and he was spending time with O, right? And as he was on his way to drop O off at his apartment complex, O turns and says, Hey, I thought that we were supposed to go to Walmart, right? And the mentor's like, oh yeah, sorry about that, but I can't today because I have to get home. Well, O flipped out on him and he got so angry. He started cussing him out and that really changed their relationship because while the mentor's heart was good, while he wanted to, to kind of celebrate O and take him to Walmart and get him a gift, um, that became the norm for O and he became to expect that. And so, um, the truth of the matter is the mentoring relationship, um, there was a standard that was set. And the standard was every time that I hang out with my mentor, I get $5 and I get to go to Walmart. But is it truly realistic for that to happen for the entire relationship, right? So I think that there's something that we as mentors can um, can learn from that story. Yeah. So, Yeah, I think a primary lie the main lie that comes in this honeymoon stage is for a mentor, it's I can fix him. I'm the solution to every problem. And I think a lot of mentors love to, 
be in that spot, but that we don't recognize how unhealthy that, that mindset can become because that's not true. Like we aren't the solution. And for the mentee, the lie that they believe is that the mentor can solve all their problems and, and is the solution to all the relational deficit that they've had in life, which that's not true. Like the mentor is a part of that, but is not the solution for all of their issues. And I think both of them in the honeymoon stage can run into that lie that is very disruptive for the beginning of the relationship. I also think one lie that both the mentee and the mentor can fall into is I have to be a certain way in order for the other one to accept me. For the mentor, it's I have to take them to the coolest restaurants. I have to provide this experience. I have to be someone other than who I am in order for him to like me. And for the mentee, maybe it's the same thing, mm -hmm. right? And so I just think that in the honeymoon stage, in the beginning of a mentoring relationship, the enemy can really plant these lies that if not dealt with, they can really mess up the relationship going forward. And so it's super important um, as a mentor to identify this potential pitfall and to ask yourself the question, is this really who I am? What is so bad about being myself? That's really good. And also just, am I trying to impress him? Am I trying to be someone other than who I am? The thing that the Lord wants you to know as a mentor is that you are enough and that the Lord didn't mess up whenever he made you and that you do have something to offer. Um, even if the world will say that you don't, right? I know for most mentors that I talk to, the main lie that they believe is this kid won't like me. I'm not cool enough. I don't have anything in common with him. And I just don't think that that's true. Yeah. I think, I think in this stage, expectations can go awry. I've had mentors who they meet their, their mentee in that first week. They're like, well, I'm, I'm going to see you every day and we're going to hang out and I'm going to figure out everything about your life. And I just want to get to know you. Yeah. And then the next week comes and they don't show up. And the mentee is like, where is this guy? I thought he was coming every day. And getting to that place where you're willing to play the long game and not allow the honeymoon stage to just provoke you to do all this unnatural stuff that you can't maintain for longer than a week. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think that's huge. So what's, does, what does this stage lean into? What comes after the honeymoon stage? Well, unfortunately, uh, this, is, this next stage is one of the harder stages, right? And this is what we like to call the wall stage. And it's the whole, why isn't my kid talking to me? Why isn't he opening up? When did he move? How come I didn't know it? And how come his cell phone doesn't work? He told me he'd show up, but where is he? He didn't call me. He didn't text me. He didn't show up on me. What's really going on here? Does he even like me? This is really, really difficult, and it doesn't seem to be working. That is the wall stage. And so kind of what happens here is a couple things. For some mentees, especially those who have not truly experienced a trusting, intimate relationship, they get kind of freaked out. And internally, they say, I'm starting to trust this guy. I'm starting to let him in. I've never done that before. Or... The last time I did that, I got hurt. So I'm going to put a guard up. That's one thing that can happen. The second thing is I've been burned so many times. This guy seems like he's for real, 
but I'm going to make it difficult on him on purpose to see if he really is for real. So it's almost like he's testing you or she is saying, I'm going to make this as hard as I possibly can to see if you'll stick around. And so um, it's a protection mechanism, right? And so this is the wall stage. This is where it gets real. The facades are down. It's been enough time to where like you are actually beginning to be yourself and they are actually beginning to be their true self. And you're finding out who each person truly is. Also in the wall stage is where you begin to understand or learn for the first time this kid's story. You begin to, to understand perhaps the unstable life that they are living. Just the fact that they might move often, the fact that their cell phone number changes or they change schools. You begin to get a understanding of what it looks like to not have food security, right? You begin to understand about the different adults in this kid's life, um, the ones who stick around, but also the ones who come and go. You understand and begin to learn about their hurts, about perhaps the trauma that they've experienced or um, their past story. You get to actually sit down and listen to what experience has made this kid who they are today. And then there's trust issues. The kid, perhaps he shuts down or she doesn't open up. Um, and it really does feel like this kid doesn't even like you, like they don't even want to be around you. And this happens all the time. A mentor who is um, new in their relationship with their kid, they'll call us and they'll say, man, it feels like the kid doesn't like me. This isn't working. I think I might need a new kid or you might want to give this kid a new mentor. And he is so discouraged. And then the very next day, I will talk to the kid, and the kid has the exact opposite reaction. He's saying how much he loves spending time with his mentor and how he's so excited to meet him and to spend time with him, and he just loves him. And this is where the enemy can lie to us once again. And the main lie in the wall stage is this. It's not working. You don't have what it takes. You aren't equipped to deal with this kid. He doesn't like spending time with you. She's going to leave. This is a waste of time. That is the main lie in the wall stage. I've experienced the wall stage with a bunch of different kids. With this one kid who I mentored in particular, the wall stage lasted about two years. And I look back and that's really discouraging. But what the Lord was doing during that time was he wasn't just changing the heart of the kid that I was mentoring, but he was changing my heart as well. He was teaching me how to persevere and teaching me how to keep on tossing seeds, even though I'm not seeing any fruit. You never know what the Lord's doing in the heart of a kid. And it's so hard to judge success based on what you see in a relationship with a kid from a hard place. The main thing that a mentor needs during this time is to trust in the Lord and to hope in him and say, God, it doesn't look like this is working. It doesn't look like there's fruit, but I trust that as long as I continue to invest, as long as I continue to love, you're going to do work on this kid's heart in your perfect timing. When I think about Z and my mental relationship with him when we first started, I would go to all his football games. And whether he won the game or lost the game, I would always sit at the side and wait till the, the team came out. And I would always try to encourage him or just have a connect with him partially just because I wanted him to know that I came to the game. <laughs> and for the most part, if I didn't 
make myself known, he probably wouldn't know that I was there. But without fail, the first two seasons of watching him play, I could not even get him to look at me. And I look back at that and I wonder if I could have been more forward, like to break through that wall or, or if there was anything I could have done about it. And so I, I don't know what you would say, Zach, about what is a mentor's responsibility to break the wall, like, or, or to just wait and trust the Lord that the wall's going to come down eventually. And I know that's probably a judgment, but part of me thinks that I could have been more powerful in with the level of trust that I think I had built with him. I could have been like, hey, Zamari, I'm here for you, bro. I see you. Do you, do you think that's a place where mentors should feel more power to like, my job is to break the wall? Yeah, I don't, Stephen. And I, I think, and as we're starting to process this, I'm even wondering if we should call it the wall stage, right? Because the person who has built the wall is the kid. And I'm starting to think the only one who can take down the wall is the kid. And so he's going to let you in whenever he is ready whenever she's ready, right? And for some kids, that that takes three weeks, that takes six weeks. Kind of what we found is the, the sooner you get involved into a kid's life, the quicker the wall comes down. And so the wall for a kid who's 10 is not going to be as high as a wall from a kid who's 16. But I, I really do believe that it's our job as a mentor to knock, right? And we're just continuously knocking and we're asking, Every time we show up, every time we ask a question, every time we text, we're asking them to, to take the wall down. And I believe that the height of this kid's wall is directly influenced by their past. The higher the wall means the higher hurts, the higher experiences of traumatic situations they've had. And so I think every time you show up, one brick's coming off, one brick's coming off, one brick's coming off. I don't believe it's our job as a mentor to break down that wall, but instead it's just our job to ask them. And every time that we show up, we ask, Hey, can you take this wall down? Hey, can you take this wall down? Hey, can you take this wall down? I think that's our job. And it kind of gives them power. It kind of gives them the right to let you into their life because all of these seasons, right? The wall stage is, the kid is saying, I, I'm freaked out here. <laughs> like, I don't know whether I can trust you or not. I'm scared. I'm frightened. Now, they, they can't say that with their words, but their actions are saying that. I don't know if you're really going to stick around if you know that this is my past and this is my family and I move every six months and I don't have food and maybe I cuss or have sex or smoke weed. Like, are you still going to stick around? And we as mentors, I know for me, I want to give them the chance to take the wall down in their own timing. Yeah, it's really good. And then when, when that wall comes down, well, here comes our next stage, right? And this is called the fight or flight stage. And this is where the mentor decides if he's really up for this. He knows their story. He knows the good. He knows the bad. He knows where they've come from. He knows their hurts. He's seeing the kid just as he is. And the kid's also seeing the mentor for who he is. The kid's seeing how the mentor responds to difficult situations. He's seeing if the mentor's consistent, if he's a person of their word, if he really loves them 
regardless of their actions. Perhaps the mentor is frustrated that mentoring isn't going how he thought it would. But when this happens, there's a choice that has to be made. And the choice is this. Am I going to stick around and love this kid no matter what? Am I going to continue to invest into them or am I going to leave? And it's hard, right? Because perhaps the mentor's experiencing this, just the thoughts that it's not working, the thoughts that it's not how he thought it was going to be. The lies come, right? And the lie is Satan saying, this kid's a lost cause. No matter what you do, he's still going to turn out bad. He's a bad kid. He'll never change. He doesn't even like you. If he did like you, and then he would do this, 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 and this, right? But this is the time whenever the mentor has to make the choice to disregard those lies and to say, no, 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 I, I'm going to fight for this relationship. I am going to be one of the only adults in this kid's life who sticks around no matter what. I am going to love them regardless, unconditionally. And this is where the mentor has to choose. He has to choose whether or not he's going to sacrifice for this kid. He has to choose whether or not he's going to invest, even though this kid is more hurt than I ever thought that he would be. He's going to continue to show up even when the kid who he's mentoring is not being quote unquote successful. He's not making straight A's. He's, he's not on the honor roll. It doesn't look like he's going to go to college. He's sticking around even though it's not easy. And he's sticking around even though it's a lot harder than he thought it would ever be. The main lie here that Satan's saying is this is a waste of time. It's not working and it's never going to work. This kid will never mm. change. He will never be a successful adult. And that's not true. Proverbs 24, 16 says, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. And that I think is a great depiction of mentoring. In mentoring, in your relationship with your kid, you guys are going to fall down. You guys are going to have fights. Things aren't going to go the way that you thought that they were going to go. You're going to experience things that you have no idea how to deal with, right? But this right here is the most crucial point in your relationship. Do I fight? Do I continue and trust that God will move through our relationship? Or do I flight? Do I quit? Do I give up on this kid and think that this relationship is hopeless? Wow. So that right there is, in my opinion, one of the most crucial points in a mentoring relationship. I also believe, though, that just like a rainbow at the end of a rainstorm, the best is yet to come. You're about to see some, some really beautiful things come from this difficult stage. The mentor acknowledging that contending for the relationship is is what will make, make or break the relationship, I think is, is vital. So a mentor walks into this, not just with, oh, you know, I'm volunteering and, well, I'm showing up. But there is this conscious decision to face adversity and difficulty and to contend for the relationship because of the wall of past experiences that prevent, prevent a kid from experiencing the the investment of a mentor. And I, I just think that that personal responsibility of a mentor in contending is great, but that it comes, I, I love how the, the wall stage leads into that, of that, okay, I'm showing up, allowing this kid to take down the wall, but then as I get access, am I willing to 
engage and contend for that relationship? If I'm the first person getting behind the wall, am I willing to make sacrifices? Am I willing to even say the hard thing in order for the kid to know that I want what's best for him? And just that in, in that stage of when the wall comes down, you have the decision to walk away and allow this kid to just build the wall back up again or to enter into that space and kind of disallow him from building it up again for every other relationship that he has. I just think that, that that's, that's the huge responsibility of a mentor is to, to contend in that space. Well, it's almost like whenever me and my wife went on our first date, right? My wife didn't know I, I had trauma in my past. I didn't know that my wife had a chronic illness that was going to make life fairly difficult on us. I didn't know the issues in her past. She didn't know my deepest, darkest secrets, right? When those things start to surface, and if you're with someone for long enough in any relationship, they will surface. Mm -hmm. Us fighting through that and us dealing with that together, that has made us who we are today. And I look back and while we were going through it, it was terribly difficult. But now that we're through it, I look back and say, man, that, that's made us who we are today, and I wouldn't change that for the world. So the old saying is, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And as cheesy as that is, it's, it is so true. The next stage, which is? The genuine relationship stage. This is when the mentor relationship becomes the real deal. The lifelong relationship that I think every mentor longs to create with their mentee. Um, this is when you start to understand um, as a mentee that your mentor is backing up what he's saying. He's trustworthy. He's always doing what he, what he says he's going to do. And a mentee in this stage also understands that whatever they do, they're still loved. That that love regardless, I think, creates this place where they can show up and receive love and, and know that their mentor cares for them and believes in them and speaks worth and value and treasures their relationship. I think that that's, that's the huge thing that I, for me and Z, when I started getting texts from him, who's like, hey, what are you up to? I recognized our relationship had shifted to this place of really like mutual relationship which I, I think that's where this place is, is where it's not necessarily dependent upon everything that you're bringing to the relationship, but it becomes this actual relationship where, where you're both bringing something to the table. And I, and I don't necessarily want to say that the mentor's responsibility isn't, I think, the leader of the relationship, but I definitely think as you get to this stage, the mentee feels the authority to direct and ask questions and open up more and ask questions. And I, I just think that that's, it's an amazing thing to see and be a part of, because I think it's what every mentor longs to see, longs to see their mentee pick up everything that they're throwing at them. Yeah. Like for most mentors, the genuine relationship stage is what they signed up for. Exactly. It just took a couple of years, maybe five or six years <laughs> to get there. <laughs> right. And so, um, like, First off, that's why just the benefits of starting to mentor a kid when he's young 
are so great because you can kind of get to this stage faster. But also keep in mind that these seasons, they coincide greatly with the maturity of the kid, the age of a kid. Even the most mature third grader is going to have a hard time having a genuine relationship with anyone, right? But this is also where one of the three A's is highlighted, and that's the A of acceptance. My mentor loves me for me, not for what I do. This is where the mentor, he focuses more on quality time instead of deeds or progress or things like that. He understands that only the Lord can change a kid's heart, that he isn't striving or like trying to turn this kid into um, what he thinks that he should be. And it's also where just kind of celebrating the small wins, the mentor has grown in positivity. He's grown in perseverance. I mean, this is the stage where the kid knows what he's getting and the mentor knows what he's getting and they're choosing to continue to engage through the good and the bad. And perhaps I would also say that for as much as the kid can, this is where you will start to see some fruit. So keep an eye out for it, right? Like a teenager texting his mentor, like that's fruit. Like that's a, that's a giant pineapple, right? Because <laughs> like this teenager is putting forth effort and he's trying the best that he can to show you that you matter. Or maybe it's the, you've been telling this kid, I love you. I love you. I love you for five years. And finally he says, I love you too, right? Like that's fruit. And, and it is, it is in this stage where not, not only is the wall down, but he's beginning to open up his heart. And man, that is really where the Lord can use you to heal some of the wounds and to really speak wisdom and to speak truth and to, and to comfort him in some of the things that built that wall up. You can start to perhaps talk about the trauma. You can talk about family stuff. You can talk about the disappointments and the hurts and the fears, right? And you can really be the hands and feet of Jesus as they begin to open themselves up to you. And for some kids, you might very well be the only person in their life, perhaps the only person who isn't a part of their family who they're opening up to. Um, and the Lord can use that and do major work on a kid's heart. Seeing as the, the first few stages are kind of, you know, there's difficulty and there's a trial, there's adversity, there's something you have to contend for. We're kind of making the genuine relationship stage sound like there aren't any issues. <laughs> and, and I think that that's, that's not true, that genuine relationships have issues, have problems, but you're in a place of health where you can address them in ways you couldn't before. Right. And so I don't, I don't know if you have any thoughts on on difficulties that you faced in, in a genuine relationship stage of a mentor relationship or what lies could you believe in this stage? Well, every kid's different, right? And so I know some of the difficulties um, include just most things that adults deal with in teenagers or things like that. And so typically this, this stage does tend to happen between, you know, 14, 15, all the way through, the mid twenties, but you have to kind of, for some kids fight for their time. They're so busy with sports. They're so busy with their friends. They're so busy trying to get attention and acceptance and affirmation from their peers that they have kind of forgot about you. And so 
the good news is, is that you're at a point in your relationship where you can actually talk about that. If you start to rebuke a kid whenever you first meet him, that's probably not going to go well. But now that you've kind of built up that foundation, this is where you can kind of start to have those conversations. Hey, you're not making good choices. Hey, you hurt my feelings. I see you doing this and I don't think that it'll turn out well. And so I think one of the challenges is really learning how to have that conflict in a healthy way. Because for some of our kids, they've never had an adult who has called them up before, who has said, hey, what you're doing isn't good and you need to change it. Some of the lies I think that I have experienced is this kid doesn't need me. He's 18. He's 19. He's an adult now. It sure doesn't seem like he does. Mm. I would just say that we all need some guidance at every point in our life. In the genuine relationship stage, it's more about quality time than quantity of time. And so that's good for a kid who's in elementary school. You, you might see him every week, but you might see him every week for 15 minutes, right? Because you can't really have a super long conversation with a kid in third grade, but this is where like you might only talk to your kid once a month, but it might be taking them out to dinner and y'all have really in-depth conversation for an hour and a half. And so don't, don't believe if he's not calling you, if he puts his friends or sports or school or colleges or their own aspirations above your relationship, don't quit and don't think that he doesn't need you. And one thing that has helped me out a lot is focus on the time that you do get with them instead of focusing on what you're not getting with them. Sometimes if a kid would only spend an hour with me a month, instead of being so happy to see him for that hour, I was mad because I'm like, well, how come you're not calling me? How come you're not texting me? How, right. And I was focusing on what wasn't happening instead of focusing and being joyful for what was happening. And so as they get older and you have to use discernment and you have to let the Holy spirit kind of, kind of take over here, but you can kind of let them into your life. Right. And you can kind of share some of your experiences. Um, Hey, this is what I dealt with whenever I was your age. And as the spirit leads, you can kind of begin to, give them access to your stories and where you failed. So hopefully they can learn from that. The genuine relationship stage, this is where things are really starting to get real. Like you, you feel appreciated, perhaps you're seeing some fruit and this will lead to what I like to call the lifelong relationship stage. And I also do think that in this stage, there is kind of a choice that has to be made as your kid finishes high school goes off into college, maybe they finish college and go off and get a job. It's up to you as the mentor to continue to pursue them and to continue to invest into them. I'm going to be honest, there's not a lot of people under the age of 25 who are going to pursue you as a mentor. Just they aren't to a point in their life yet where they're they're seeking out wisdom, they're seeking out advice. They are pursuing the opinions of other people and have the humility to say, maybe I don't have this figured out, right? Most kids who are teenagers think that they have it figured out. And that isn't, that isn't a knock on kids. It's just kind of how it is. And so the number one thing that I would say that is important when you enter into the lifelong relationship stage is just don't stop. And if you're confused as to if the kid wants to hang out with you or not, just ask them, Hey, 
would you like to still meet? Would you like for me to still call you? Would you like to still have lunch? Or how often, right? Um, and so, but I really do believe that the biggest win is if a kid who you started mentoring when they were in elementary school or junior high school or high school, when they get married, you're at their wedding. When they start to have kids, you're there. Whenever they um, are entering into the workforce, they call you for advice, right? And this really is lifelong. There's a guy on our board who he is now in his 50s, but he still has lunch once a month with a guy who mentored him in high school. They've been having lunch for 30 years, right? How awesome is that? And my friend would say, this guy's the most important man in my life, bar none. And we have that chance if we just don't quit. And so for me, I want my kids to call the kid who I mentor brother. I want my kids to know them and to experience them. I want my wife to love the kid who I mentor as much as I do. I want them to be a part of my family. I want to be the best man at his wedding. I want the kid who I mentor to name their kid after me. <laughs> that sounds a little bit, sounds pretty arrogant, but I named my kid after the guy who mentored me, right? As morbid as it sounds, right? I want the kids who I mentor to be the pallbearers at my, at my funeral. Mm. And I believe that that is the power of mentoring. That's the power of relationship. That is the chance that we have. Um, and that is making a disciple. And I, I want to challenge the guys who I mentor to mentor as well. I want to create disciples who make disciples. And hey, if, if that isn't an option, if that doesn't happen, that's okay. You have to ask yourself, was this kid's life better because the Lord used me in it? And for almost every mentoring relationship, the answer there is yes. But how cool would it be if you're able to spend, that you're able to spend the rest of your life investing into this kid? That's how relationships change lives. That's how generational curses can turn into generational blessings. I think there are a lot of similar things between the genuine relationship stage and the lifelong relationship stage. Primarily, the lifelong relationship stage is, is a place where the mentor continues with their commitment and the mentee continues with their commitment to the relationship. And so really, I mean, I think if there were a few things that I'd say are needed for mentors to nurture, to, to have a lifelong relationship with their mentee, I think they still have to believe the best. And so when you run into a situation where they miss a lunch or you don't hear from them for three months, who cares? You've, you've known them for, for years. I, I just, do you have any of those friends where you haven't heard from them in three months, but as soon as you hear from them, it's like you're back to, you're back to normal. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think that that's the, the hope that we have for our mentor relationships. Don't quit. Trust the process. Lifelong relationships for mentoring. You may have an expectation for when, when you started the mentor relationship that they would be a consultant at KPMG one day because that's what you were and that's what you taught them about. And that might not necessarily be the case for their life. They might be in another industry. They might not have a job that you think is successful or meet some bar of, of success in our culture. 
but that's okay. You don't need to maintain a lifelong relationship. They don't have to meet some expectation because in the lifelong relationship stage, you shouldn't have expectations of them. You're just there. You love them. You care for them. In this stage, you still have to let God be God and know that you're not the Savior. And so you may run into situations where they need help. That's fine. You need to recognize that your role isn't just to bail them out. I feel like you can run into a lot of situations where you can lose boundaries because of long-term relationships that go go south. And I feel like I think about I think about guys that I invested in that a few years later I only hear from them when they need something. And I I don't necessarily think that that's what we're looking for in the lifelong mentor relationship stage, but maybe that's something that that happens and you need to be prepared for it. And so I I want to encourage every mentor to have boundaries and to ultimately just have love and trust that God's going to care for them and and do only do what you can do, not not what God's responsibility is and their responsibility is. Yeah. I think you don't get to the lifelong relationship stage without a huge amount of humility of saying, Lord, you're really in control of this relationship and I'm just here to show up and Lord, use me however you want. Um, it, it takes humility to continue to pursue when they don't answer the phone. It takes humility to die to your dreams for this kid and say, no, Lord, whatever you have for them is better. It takes humility to love unconditionally, to consider someone more important than you, right? And so I think if we get to the lifelong relationship stage, all that perseverance and all that hope and all that prayer and all that continuing to show up no matter what, that's going to turn us into someone who looks a whole lot more like Jesus than whenever we first started. Yeah. And it, it proves our intentions from the get-go in the relationship. Yeah. That it's not about me. It's all about you. Uh, and that's humility. That's selflessness. And just the most important thing uh, is just don't quit. Just do not quit. If you fall down, that's okay. Get back up. Because we believe that the Lord is going to use you to totally not only transform this kid's life, but to transform their kids' lives and their kids' kids. And you really do have the opportunity to turn a generational curse into a generational blessing, all because of what the Lord does through your relationship. Thanks for listening to the You Can Mentor podcast. We are glad to have you as a listener. I want to encourage you to share this episode with someone that the Lord puts on your mind who's maybe in one of these seasons of mentoring. We hope it's an encouragement. We'd love if you would subscribe to the podcast to get all of our future episodes, as well as check out our website, youcanmentor.com. We want to provide many resources for all mentors in all the various stages to help you build relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. So we'd love to see you on the flip side. And if there's one thing you picked up from today's episode, let it be this, you can mentor. <laughs>